Hey everybody, it's Josh and Chuck, your friends, and we are here to tell you about our upcoming book that's coming out this fall, the first ever Stuff You Should Know book, Chuck. That's right. What's the cool, super cool title we came up with? It's Stuff You Should Know, colon, an incomplete compendium of mostly interesting things. That's right. And it's coming along so great. We're super excited, you mm-hmm. guys. The uh, illustrations are amazing. Yes. And there's the look of the book. It's all just, it's exactly what we hoped it would be. And we cannot wait for you to get your hands on it. Yes, we can't. Um, and you don't have to wait, actually. Well, you do have to wait, but you don't have to wait to order. Uh, you can go pre-order the book right now, everywhere you get books. And you will eventually get a special gift for pre-ordering, which we're working on right now. That's right. So check it out soon, coming this fall. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and we are matcha, matcha men. (laughs) We are some matcha men. And Jerry's out there, too. This is Stuff You Should Know. That's very cute. Yumi's um, uh, iTunes, I guess, on her phone is stuck on Macho Man. Like anytime she plugs it in in the car, that's what comes up. I what guess is the deal with that? What, like that it, the same first song starts off? Yeah, and it varies. It's annoying. I don't know what it is, but that's the way it is because Tim Cook said so. <laughs> uh, by the way, if I may, here at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, I joined Instagram finally. Because of that Gwyneth Paltrow thing? What? Or is this totally unrelated to matcha? No, <laughs> it's totally unrelated to matcha. Okay. Well, welcome. Do you thought I joined Instagram because of Gwyneth Paltrow? I thought that this was a segue <laughs> into the matcha episode. No, I just finally got on Instagram because I, I loathe Facebook. And yeah. the only thing I will do on Facebook now is I do not pass go. I go straight to Movie Crush mm. and Movie Crushers, which is a great community of really awesome people. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little wonderful corner of Facebook that's not snarky and fun and supportive and uh, movie talk mostly. But uh, I finally got on Instagram because everyone was like, dude, you just get on Instagram because it's not like that, even though Facebook owns Instagram. Um, And so I did. So if you want to follow me, uh, uh, you can find me at Chuck the Podcaster. That's okay. It. Full stop. That's it. I thought there was <laughs> that was a pregnant pause. No, well, Chuck, heck, I'm I'm going to say mine too. I'm at Josh um Clark. Yeah, it's you know I'm I'm posting a few personal pictures. I'm posting mm. some movie crush stuff. Any shirtless ones? Not yet. Uh, That's I'm, good. I'm posting some. Uh, you know, I've always kind of considered myself an amateur photographer, so it's just things I find beautiful or funny or fun or interesting. Uh-huh. Um, not a ton of stuff, but, you know, I'm there now. Sounds like you've got it all figured out, Chuck. How many followers do you have? How many do I need to beat? <laughs> I think I'm at about, I think, 20,000. Ah, jeez. You'll make it to that. I'll no never time. make it there. You will, too. <laughs> I think I'm at about that. Man, that's got great. a good little crew going. Um, what kind yeah, of stuff Instagram do you post? I need to follow definitely you. Definitely way better. Uh, post some Momo pictures. Okay. Um, what else do I post? Just Momo pictures. Momo, Momo, Momo <laughs> pictures. Pictures of me with food. Um, me oh, and Yumi food pictures, pictures. That kind of stuff. You know, okay. the usual Instagram stuff. I don't know how personal to get. Uh, as as much as you want to be. I guess I it's think, all. Uh, 
I mean, if you do like uh, confessional videos where you're crying, <laughs> it might freak people out a little bit. Oh, but. can you do video? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you are new, aren't you? I think I might just keep it very basic and just do the old, here's a picture. Okay. Okay. I predict that that will change eventually. You think? Sure. Cut to me crying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go follow you right now. I'm uh, at 27.9, <laughs> by the way. Oh, wow. Chuck the podcaster. Go ahead. I haven't announced it yet, so don't make fun of my numbers. <laughs> I'm following you. Probably got no more than a couple of hundred. Uh, you got 945. All right. That's pretty good. Not bad pre-announcement. <clears throat> well, yes, that is not bad at all. Wow. So, so the reason I thought, <laughs> uh, let me do this, okay, right. because I have some explaining to do. The reason I thought you were talking about Gwyneth Paltrow is because Gwyneth Paltrow is the person that the current um, deep and abiding love for all things matcha that America has Gwyneth Paltrow is the person that is chalked up as kicking that off back in 2015. Did you know that? Yeah, they lay it at her feet. Is that fair? Because I feel no, like— No, it's not at all fair. Yeah, I feel like the matcha, um, sort of hipster matcha boom happened before that. But I think what they're saying is, like, she popularized it, and it was no longer just relegated to hipsters because, you know, hipsters are so rare— <laughs> They're rare creatures, and they don't have much much reach in the popular culture. It takes a Gwyneth Paltrow to really spread an idea these days. Well, thank God for her. But there was a um, a post that she made back in 2015 that says that um, that it oh chalat chalate c h a l a i t yeah chalate matcha latte was a dreamy new discovery on Instagram, and that apparently. Maybe people go start drinking matcha. Because she discovered an 11th century <laughs> tea powder. That's right. Good for her. It's dreamy. Uh, I'm glad we're doing this because, <clears throat> first of all, I love matcha. Yeah, I do too. And I think I got into it. Uh, I've fallen out of it, but I, this made me uh, buy some more uh, that I bought online and is being shipped now as we speak. Oh, yeah? Uh, so I got out of it a little, for a little while. Uh, I guess... Maybe because I can't go to my little Japanese store and get it in person. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. But um, what kicked off my love of matcha was my friend PJ in Los Angeles. So it was a while ago. And then I was reminded from the uh, watching Top Chef the other night. They did. They had a, uh, you know how much I love that show. Mm -hmm. They had a, a challenge where it was, uh, they had to prepare a traditional Japanese uh, kaiseki, which is a progressive uh, taste not not quite a tasting menu, but a progressive dinner, mm -hmm. formal dinner, which is very much reminded me of the matcha formal tea ceremony. Right, which we'll talk about. But I just want to say that I think it would be deliciously ironic if you learned about matcha from PJ and PJ learned about it from Gwyneth Paltrow's Instagram <laughs> post. Now, this is way pre-2015. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what about... Matcha everything, Chuck. What about matcha Kit Kats? Are they your favorite Kit Kat flavor? Did not care for those. Uh, really? I have had them. Yeah, did not like them at all. Do you have, uh, have you had like a good matcha latte from Starbucks? Have not had a matcha latte. It's pretty good. I think it's like matcha tea, to so be you, honest. So you like the traditional matcha powder in hot water, stirred together, there's your tea. Yeah. Great. I mean, cool. that's the that's the purest approach there is, and that's like what you said. People have been drinking that since like the 11th century. Yeah, or add it to um, 
like just a regular steeped green tea might add a little dash of matcha mm-hmm. or to a smoothie, which I have a smoothie almost every morning. Yes. Okay. So there's a lot of different ways that you can enjoy matcha. Have and we I even said we what it say, is yet? No, we're about to. <laughs> okay. I think we should also say that we're not invested in any kind of matcha outfit or anything like that because we're talking it up a bit like we are, like we're in the midst of a pump and up scheme or something like that. Uh-huh. We're just fans, right? Matcha's just great. So um, we should say, like you're saying, matcha is tea, but it's tea in powdered form. And it's specifically a very um, distinct type of tea grown in a very distinct way and processed in a distinct way. And that it's really unlike any other kind of tea, so much so that it's a really weird thing if you think about it. But then it's an also a very delightful and calming, soothing thing to, to learn about too, I found. Yeah, and big thanks to HowStuffWorks.com, Maria C. Hunt, uh, the American Specialty Tea Alliance, and then this great article on uh, Good and Proper from Emily Holmes helped mm-hmm. help me out for this one. Yep. But yeah, so the matcha is the these tea leaves that have been steamed, then dried, and then uh, you you get those stems out. And the seeds. You want, yeah, the seeds. No stems and seeds. That's the, <laughs> right. that's the rule. <laughs> you don't want any, uh, any swag tea. Right. So you get that stuff out of there, and then you grind that stuff into a fine powder. And we'll talk about the different places where it's grown but uh, and then about the history. But what you end up with is this ideally very bright, bright chlorophyll green powder. Almost neon green. Yeah, if it's, you know, the good stuff. You're right. Yeah, the greener, the, the greener, the brighter, the, the almost day glowy it is, usually the, the better the actual matcha is, and we'll see exactly why. But somewhere along the way, uh, about the 11th century, um, or the 12th century, I guess it would be, um, I think back in... Uh, 1191, the Japanese imported this idea from the Chinese. And we it's weird to think, like, there was a point in time where they're like, okay, we're going to start powdering tea from this process, and then this will be go on to become matcha. Where up to that, nobody made tea like that. They made tea like you would think. They grew tea, they kind of packed it into cakes or bricks, and they sold it like that, and you would steep it, and you would drink the liquor, is what they call it, um, and you would remove the tea leaves. That's not at all what matcha is. Matcha is straight-up ground powdered tea leaves and you're drinking the tea itself not like yeah. steeped tea that's that's come out of the tea and you're throwing the tea leaves away you're drinking the whole kit and caboodle as they oh, say yeah. in Japan yeah which is why there are so many great health benefits uh, which we'll get to yeah uh, yeah there was a well first of all it's uh, in Japanese uh, mat means powdered and cha means tea mm-hmm. so bada bing bada boom matcha powdered tea <laughs> but there was a zen monk named uh Isai? I believe so. Okay. Who brought these tea seeds uh, after going on a trip to China. And I think this is the person who in 1891 started cultivating this stuff. What did I say? 1891. (laughs) Sorry. I was off by 700 years. Uh, Started cultivating this stuff and then had a pupil. And this this stuff was very popular with the monks because they could get caffeine loaded and stay up all night and pray. Right. But I uh, had a pupil named uh, Myoi, who was a Buddhist monk uh, mm-hmm. there in the mountains northwest of Kyoto. 
And I think this is the person that really took this cultivation seriously and started to sort of um, make it a larger scale operation. Yeah, um, the the Buddhist temple that Miyoi lived at, I think, was in charge of. It's called Kozanji on the Tangano Mountain. I checked with Yumi. I was like, "Do you say both O's?" And she said, "Yeah." And I practiced, and it's not coming out right. But Tangano Mountain, <laughs> okay, um, outside of Kyoto, and um, Miyoi just so happened where where he lived, where he started planting this tea had these incredible, like, um, natural conditions that just so happened to come together mm-hmm. that that produced exactly the kind of tea leaf that you would want for matcha. But it, it was just a, a basically a freak of nature that it happened that way. Yeah. He's like, you know, we got this great uh, soil, super fertile. Um, mm-hmm. We have this morning dew that comes in because of the river nearby, mm-hmm. and that that really rests on those tea leaves and just makes it all pop with chlorophyll. And it became more popular. And as it became more popular, uh, it was the third shogun of the Ashikaga shogunate, mm-hmm. and his name was Ashikaga uh, Yoshimitsu. Beautiful. I love Japanese. Words. I know it's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, there's something about it. It just it appeals to my eyeballs, and it's it appeals to my tongue when I can manage to get it out of my mouth correctly. Mm-hmm. There's just something about it. I really like it. But um, I know he's the one that said, "All right, we got to get more of this stuff and fast because people love this matcha." So uh, let's get it going here in the Uji era, era area. Right, outside of Kyoto. So it was originally just on Togano Mountain, <laughs> and then it, it was expanded to a wider area. And it was there when they expanded to Uji. And Uji is now like the place where you get the world's greatest matcha, they decided. But at first, the tea that they were starting to produce in Uji when they first expanded it, um, they were like, this is this is not nearly as good as, as the stuff that they're making over there on Togano Mountain, right? <laughs> um and they could not figure out why. And then they went back and they looked and they realized that on the mountain, there was a lot of forest that was naturally shading these tea bushes. And that that was the big difference. Then they started to study it more and more and more. And they realized that they could kind of mimic mm-hmm. this forest shading it. And that if they did this at, at certain amounts or certain, certain times during the growing season, um, they could actually force the tea to produce exactly the kind of leaves that they would want to um, to turn into matcha because it takes a very specific kind of um, growth pattern. And it's just so beautiful in Zen, especially because these were Zen monks who were figuring this out. Mm-hmm. But it's just like this like delicately manipulating the plant to get it to do what you want so you can get the most remarkable leaves to use for matcha. I just find it, seriously, like when I was researching this and studying this, I was just so much, just it was just calm and like really Mm -hmm. soothing, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't think we said what the name of it, but it's called Tincha before it becomes matcha. Matcha is that final ground-up powder. Yeah, everything leading up to that is, is like you said, Tincha. So sure. technically you don't grow matcha. So we'll talk about exactly how it's cultivated later, but the, the the upshot of it is that by noticing that the forest around these um, these plants shaded them, they figured out how to simulate it by building structures around them. And 
what they've come up with finally in Uji uh, is what you would call ceremonial grade matcha. Yeah, and you know what? I looked that up and saw a couple of things. I saw that ceremonial grade um, was used to be reserved for royalty and that it's the, you know, kind of the best stuff out there as opposed to culinary grade, which you cook with. But then I also saw other places that said that's sort of a tag you can't even trust anymore that's sort of I thrown on there that. for Americans. Right. So I don't really know what to believe. I do know that um, like a high-quality Japanese matcha is not cheap. Right. So that's that can always be a decent guide if you're online trying to buy some. If you see something super cheap, it's probably not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are four regions in Japan where it's produced. Uh, Uji, uh, Fukuoka, Nishio, and Shizuoka. And Uji is the most renowned, obviously. Uh, the article from Eater that I saw said it's sort of like seeing Bordeaux on a wine label. I see. Uh, the next best would be uh, Fukuoka, which is on the island of Kyushu. Uh-huh. And they're sort of newer in the last like 10 to 20 years, but apparently are putting out some really, really good stuff. Uh, Nishio is the largest by volume of matcha. Right. Uh, and they're sort of the more mass market style. And if you get that in the U.S., it's not going to be very good, apparently. And right. then the last one is the Shizuoka, and they're the largest producer of all green tea by volume, and it's not very well regarded as, like, really good matcha. I gotcha. So go for that Uji or go for the Fukuoka if you want the good stuff. Um, so I say we take a break, and then we'll come back and uh, talk about maybe the tea ceremony. How about that? Yes, let's take a break. Okay. Okay, Chuck, so uh, apparently ceremonial grade is totally made up, but if you were going to... Um, I don't think go, that's necessarily true, but... I could... I, okay. I could see people abusing that. How about that? Okay, I could not. I could see non, non-Japanese retailers abusing that. How about that? Yeah. So, um, but if you went to a tea ceremony... Um, that would pro- if if there is such a thing as ceremonial grade, that probably would be the kind of tea that they would serve you. And ceremonial grade tea, or I should say, the the tea ceremony, um, is called the chado, which means the way of tea, because again, cha means tea and do means way. So this is like the way of tea, and just the name of it of the tea ceremony being called that kind of gives you this idea that there's like a Zen vibe to it, and there most decidedly is. Oh, yeah. And like if you just watch one of these, it's just super calming. Everything, it's sort of like that formal meal I was talking about. Mm -hmm. Everything is just very exact and purposeful. Um, Yeah, those are the two words, exact and purposeful is what it's all about. You're You're not just throwing tea around. I mean, everything from the folding of the napkin to how you sit. It's all just very much planned out, and uh, it's just super relaxing to be a part of, I think. It really is. I was talking to Yumi about it because she, she was trained in it, um, and she said it's super stressful while you're learning because every single step and every single hand movement, every sound that the, that you make, like the, the whisk clinking up against the bowl, 
Um, all of those things are meant to to be a certain way. And so much of so that there's like different schools that do the, the ceremony slightly differently. But the ultimate point of the whole thing is that it's meant to draw you into the moment. It's meant to be a really meditative experience, not just for you, the person making tea, but the person who's being served tea. And it's, it's, um, it is, when, like you were saying, when you watch one of these things, there, there's plenty of them on YouTube. It's real quiet, really silent, and it's really meditative even just to watch a video of. But it's it's cool, the idea that there's, this whole process planned out and that it's meant to, to make you observe the moment. It also really shows you how um, this, this whole thing has its roots in Zen Buddhism, green tea does, or matcha. Yeah, even the white lady in San Francisco in that video you sent me <laughs> mm-hmm. was relaxing. It was, but then did you see the, the French one too? Yeah. And that was just like, I was like in my chair drooling while that one was going on because it was just totally quiet. But when you watch a tea ceremony, you see that, that there's a specific way that you're supposed to, to um, produce, to make green tea, like the way that you drink it, matcha, um, where it's just powder and hot water mixed together, and then there's your tea. But then, so you're supposed to use two scoops, if you've ever seen like one of those little bamboo hook skewer kind of things. It's called a uh, chashuka. Ch- yeah, chashuku. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, those are equal to about a third of a teaspoon, and you want two of those. So roughly a half a teaspoon if you don't have one of the bamboo scoops for green tea. And then um, you put in a little bit of water, um, and you stir it together with the bamboo whisk until a froth forms. And then there you go. You've got your, your matcha prepared the traditional way, and you're supposed to drink it in about three sips from what I understand. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, you can get more detailed than that if you want to. If you want to get out a strainer to keep it from lumping up, you can do that. Um, The water should be warm. You don't want to just throw boiling water in there. No. Uh, Apparently anything over 80 degrees will scorch it, Mm -hmm. and that will increase the bitterness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unless, I don't know, you really like a bitter matcha. I guess that could be a a call you could make, but... there's a fine line. I, I think bitterness is a part of matcha to a certain degree. Right. But it's not, it shouldn't be the overriding characteristic. No, no. It's meant to be balanced out by a sweetness. Because like, I mean, matcha, it's like if you've had tea, but you've never had matcha, you, you can't guess what matcha tastes like just by having had any other kind of tea before. It's got its own flavor for sure. Yeah. I mean, green tea will give, give you a hint. Like, if you really like green tea, you'll probably mm-hmm. like matcha, but it's still not quite the same thing. No, because the other thing about matcha, too, is it foams when you whisk it, which um, indicates that it's got a mouthfeel to it that tea doesn't have. Yeah. Like, green tea is like tea. Sure. The consistency of tea. Matcha is almost like— um, Creamy. Yeah, it has a creaminess to it, even though it's just powdered tea. There's no cream in it, but it has a creamy consistency to it, too. It's basically magic green potion— from Japan land. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it differentiates. Uh, there's another type of tea called hojicha, mm-hmm. which is um, reddish brown, and they get that from smoking it. Oh, and yeah? So, yeah, it's a little, it has sort of a earthy, smoky aroma. They both have that umami, uh, those umami undertones. Um, but the hojicha is not going to be bitter because that roasting process, I think I said smoking. They actually roast it. Right, okay. Um, makes it a little different. And I think hojicha doesn't have nearly as much caffeine as matcha. 
Matcha is about 3.2 grams per 100 grams of caffeine. It's <laughs> a lot of caffeine. And hojicha and then, is 0. 0.13, if that tells you anything. Holy cow, and it's 3.2? Yeah. Wow. And again, that's because you're, drink, you're drinking the tea leaf itself, not just the liquor of the tea. Yeah, but, and I found this to be true, it's, it's, not, a, uh, it's not a super jittery caffeine. Feeling. No, and we'll talk about exactly why, but no, it's it's world-renowned because it's not a jittery caffeine feeling. Even though there's so much caffeine, it has what's called like an alert um, calmness yeah, or a calm wakefulness, something like that where it's like you're not jittery, but you're kind of in the zone is how a lot of Westerners describe it. Yeah, like the samurai drank it for a reason because they, they could meditate, but also know when someone was 50 feet behind them with a sword. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, exactly, because they, they would sprout eyes in the back of their heads. That's right. <laughs> the other thing, too, is I I'm, I don't want us to make this sound uh, exotic or unattainable. Like, people have been drinking matcha for a thousand years, more than a thousand years now, or about a thousand years. Um, and it's it's like it's powdered tea mixed with hot water and then you drink it and yeah. it's wonderful that's it like you don't have to have the ceremony uh, a, no you don't have to there's a purpose to the ceremony it's to take time out from your busy life but if you just want some good matcha buy some good matcha get a half of a table or half of a teaspoon some warm water stir it together and enjoy your matcha it doesn't have to be some you don't have to be pretentious about it. No one does. And I, I'm, that's not to say the Japanese are pretentious about it, but just talking about it like this can come off as pretentious, even though it's not meant to be that way at all. And I, I don't want to, like, scare anybody off or make it sound like it's unattainable. It's super attainable. And yeah. it's, it's it's really beneficial, too, which is why I'm saying go try it if you haven't. Sure. I think it's the same um, sort of inaccessibility that some people might feel about wine, and a wine mm, tasting can mm-hmm. be intimidating for people. Or, you know, if you go to a place that has the pour-over coffee and, you right. know, there are lots of different ways to skin the cat. And you can you can certainly – I mean, I think Gwyneth Paltrow showed us that it was accessible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a dreamy new discovery. She gooped it up for everyone. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, you said that to drink it in the three slurps, apparently that last one uh, is when you turn that bowl fully up and – Sort of the point of that is you're you're sort of in that bowl with the tea. You, everything yeah. else is blocked out around you because it's yeah. completely held up to your face. And just savor that last that gulp and that last bit of sereneness before you know you get on Facebook and talk yeah, about the, it. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the, we didn't say you're supposed to traditionally drink it out of a tea bowl called a, called a chawan, mm-hmm. and that's another thing too. Like it's nothing to go to your local Japanese store and say, "Do you have stuff I need for matcha?" And they'll say, "Here's the bamboo whisk." They'd love here's it. The, here's the bamboo scoop. Yeah. Here's your tea bowl. Give us twelve dollars, please. Totally. It's not hard to get into at all. It's even in the traditional ceremonial way, but it's like you said, drinking it out of that tea bowl. Is is it's a different experience than just drinking it out of a mug, you know, and it's meant to be that way. Yeah, and there's, you know, you don't have to be pretentious about it, but there's also something we said for honoring mm-hmm. the tra- tradition in whatever way you feel comfortable doing. Yeah, because, I mean, I was reading about this um, this morning, drinking coffee, and I'm like, matcha and the experience of matcha is basically the opposite of coffee. Yeah. There's not, it's not meant to be like, go, 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 let's go, let's get the day started. It's like drip, drip, brew, 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 brew. (laughs) Right, exactly. It's meant to be like, let's take some time out of that day and just like reflect and chill out for a minute, but get a little buzz going. 
Yeah, exactly. You can have it all. So one, we kind of like just glanced over the fact that like matcha has grown in a really unusual way. I feel like we should talk about that a little bit. You want to? Yes. Okay. So um, when they figured out that there was a uh, that the the forest shading the tea bushes were doing something special to it when they started growing it in Uji and the the matcha they produced or the tencha I should say um, wasn't nearly as good. Um, they they started really studying what was going on, and they figured out that if you deprive the tea of the tea bush of light at certain times and in certain amounts, the tea bush will respond by producing exactly the kind of leaves that you want to turn into matcha eventually. That's right. You're affecting the light cycle, uh, and you start this in about uh, mid-April. Mm-hmm. Then they figured out what you do is you just build a little covering a little hut over these bushes mm-hmm. and you can apply straw uh, more or less straw to allow more or less light in right to the bushes and around mid-april you cut that light down by about 60 to 70 percent and then i think 10 or 12 days after that you cut it down almost to darkness to 90 percent mm-hmm. and that's sort of where you get your good money chlorophyll and matcha going on Right. And so, I mean, what's neat, though, is like we can explain this now, but these guys figured this out centuries, almost a thousand years ago, how to do this. But now we understand that two things that give matcha its sweet taste and its bitter taste are theanine and catechins. They're two different compounds that are found in in green tea and matcha. Um, And theanine gives it its sweet flavor. Catechins give it its bitter flavor. And that through photosynthesis, theanines become catechins. So if you can keep the plant from photosynthesizing as much, there's fewer theanines that are going to be turned into the bitter catechins. So that's one reason you're depriving it of light. That's a pretty big step. The other step, Chuck, is that they figured out that chlorophyll is related to the amount of theanines. I don't know if one produces the other or what, but they're they're related to one another. So the more chlorophyll there is, the more theanines are going to be, hence the sweeter the matcha is going to be. And that if you deprive the, the tea bush of light, it's going to produce more chlorophyll to try to carry out photosynthesis. So not only does its, its color get greener, um, it produces more theanines as a result. So by depriving it of light at certain times and then using the tea bush that's, um, that comes out of like winter and has like a bunch of nutrients packed down in its roots and it's now sharing them with the, the young buds um, and that's what you harvest is the first leaves of spring. That's how you get the tensha that it will turn into the best kind of matcha. Yeah, and you also get those good, uh, the, the leaves get wider. You get those broad leaves because they're mm-hmm. seeking out the light that they're not getting. Right. It's actually very cruel. <laughs> I thought about that, too. I was like, the Japanese know how to torture some plants between this and bonsai, you know? Yeah, it reminded me of the marijuana podcast, too, the cultivation one, because that's um, it's another plant that, you know, you can just throw a seed in the ground and grow tea or grow marijuana mm-hmm. and not worry about it because it's just a plant. But if you uh, alter the light cycles, uh, it they both do something extraordinary. In the case of marijuana, I believe altering the light cycles is what causes it to bud. Okay. At specific times. And it's kind of really similar with the matcha. It's kind of the same process. So with marijuana, is it kind of like you're you're making it think like the days are getting shorter and so it needs to start budding or the I days are so. getting longer? Okay, I got yeah, you. Yeah, you're artificially manipulating 
what would naturally play out over probably a longer period of time is my right. is my guess. I've never grown tea. marijuana, but I'm just guessing. <laughs> right. Uh, you're like, there was a high times at my dentist's office once. <laughs> That's probably about right. Um, so, yeah, so they figured all this out, like, to do this with tea. And they started out by by adding, like, little bamboo or reed covers to deprive sunlight. And then they, they would put straw mats over that. Now they use aluminum structures around the the bushes. And then they use just kind of that black cheesecloth fabric that you see to, like, um, sometimes people put it down to keep weeds from growing up in the yeah, landscape. Yeah, like landscape fabric. Right, exactly. That's exactly what it's called, Chuck. <laughs> now they use that to cover up the uh, the tea bushes. They've got it down kind of pat, but it's remarkably similar to the same techniques they've been using since the 13th, 12th, 13th century. Yeah, I mean, you know, they made the switch to aluminum because they would have to take these wooden frames out and care for them in the off-season and... Mm-hmm. Um, I think the same holds true with the straw. I'm sure there are probably some uh, traditionalists that are doing it in the old way. Um, but, yeah, aluminum and landscape fabric is sort of the, the modern version. Have you ever smelled musty straw? It's not a good smell. Mm, I believe I've been on a hayride or two. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah, basically. But when you make a, something out of straw, like a, a something to cover over shrubs with or whatever, oh, you sure. leave it out in the rain, roll it back up. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's not a good smell when you unroll it again. Yeah, like or if you have a straw hat that falls in a body of water, it's never going to be the same again. <laughs> has that happened to you, Tom Sawyer? Huh? Yeah, Emily. I mean, Emily has these, she's a gardener, so she has these huge straw hats. Oh, okay. And uh, they get wet. They, they get kind of stinky. You're right. I got you. Um, so you want to take another break and then we'll talk about health benefits of matcha? Sure. Okay. We're going to do that, everybody, and we'll be right back. Stuff you should know. Learning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff you should So I think we should say, Chuck, before we get before we get into the health benefits, um, when when tencha is produced, it all, apparently all of it is brought to one market in Kyoto, um, and Kyoto is like one of the greatest cities on the entire planet, and it's just perfect that they have the matcha market is in Kyoto, and people go there and say, "I really like this leaf." And I'm going to buy your entire stock. Yeah, they have an auction. It's amazing that they do this this way. They have an auction, uh, I think, once a year uh, at the Kyoto Tea Market, which opened in 74, 1974. <laughs> and, I know, I'm getting all my centuries wrong. But this was 1974. And uh, like you said, these wholesalers and vendors, they come in and they do blind tastings, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. So you can't say like, you know, you're just not acquainted with the brand before you taste it because every year is going to be a little different, even if you're trying to produce a consistent product year over year. Right. You know, every year brings a little different thing, just like the wine business. So they go in there, they blind taste the stuff, and they're looking for kind of, uh, you know, you end up mixing these things together to get your matcha at the end. You, you, I had no idea, did you? Yeah, I think I'd heard that, that it's not just one kind of tea leaf. You want a variation for fragrance, for flavor, and for color. Mm-hmm. And these tea masters pick this raw tincture leaf 
um, blindly and just say, hey, this is what I'm looking for, and I'm looking for this one, and I'm looking for this one, and I'm going to get all three of those, and I'm going to bid on them at this auction, and then dry it up, stone grind that junk into good, good green powder, yep. magical Japanese powder. <laughs> yeah, and then blend it together, and there's your mancha, pal. Yeah. That's the slogan. <laughs> So the reason we keep calling this magic powder is not just because of the ceremony and, like, the whole Zen vibe that it has to it. It definitely has all that. Um, but it 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 is verging on magical as far as the health benefits that it bestows on humans goes. At the very least, it is very clearly qualifies as a superfood if there is such a thing as a superfood. Green tea and specifically matcha definitely is that. Yeah, and you talked already about the uh, theanine a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been using this in Japan and China for uh, a stress remedy for thousands, literally thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say that it can help with aging, um, with memory and recall. Uh, apparently, if you drink, uh, gentlemen, if you drink five to seven cups of matcha a day, it can really reduce your chances of uh, prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. That's what they say. Yeah, and and um, and all, uh, all green tea is good for you. We should point out, but this is just like on steroids. Yeah, that's the thing. Like matcha is green tea, but most of the time when you drink green tea, again, you're steeping green tea leaves, and you're not actually ingesting the leaves themselves. With matcha powder, you are, and so you're getting exponentially more of this stuff, including theanine, including the catechins, um, including something called. Uh, epigallocatechin gallate, which has um, been shown to improve memory, mood, along with uh, L-theanine. And then one of the other things is these catechins are antioxidants, Chuck, which I know you're kind of chomping at the bit <laughs> to give a bit of an overview of how antioxidants help us um, combat disease. Backstory? We were poking fun at each other because you sent me a thing, a primer on antioxidants. It was like, this is like the fifth or sixth time we've probably given an overview of antioxidants. Right. But but out of that back and forth, we agreed to finally do an episode on antioxidants and aging, right? Did we agree? <laughs> I suggested it. I just assumed that you didn't respond that you were agreeing. No, no. We should do that. And then we'll okay. never talk about it again, right? I can't guarantee that, no. <laughs> but that may be the last overview. So this may be the last overview. How about that, okay? Sure. So in your body, you have something that are called free radicals, which is a type of molecule that um, have an extra uh, electron or are missing an electron. Either way, they like to go around and bind to other stuff. And when they do that, something called oxidation occurs in your body, right? And oxidation can be good um, in that, like, uh, you might have a pathogen floating around your body. These free radicals, um, which are naturally occurring, can bind to these pathogens and neutralize them, and you don't get sick from a pathogen. So it's good. The problem is, is you can have too many free radicals in your body. And so when you're when you're out of balance, you have too many free radicals, you suffer what's called oxidative stress, where the free radicals start attacking stuff you need, like lipids, fats, like DNA, like proteins in your body. And that's not good. So you have antioxidants in your in your body, but if you're not producing enough antioxidants, your free radicals can get out of balance. And it's good to do things like drink green tea, mm-hmm. which introduces a ton 
of antioxidants to your body, and then they seek out those free radicals. They bind with them and neutralize them. But the thing about antioxidants is they don't lose their stability themselves when they bind it. They just keep on keeping on, but now they also have this free radical attached for a ride, and everything's all good. So that's why they think that um, antioxidants are kind of the key to healthy aging, because when those free radicals start attacking your DNA, it can lead to things like tumors and cancer. Uh, It can lead to all sorts of other problems, breakdown of cells and tissues, um, and just general disease. They think like that is the basis of aging is oxidative stress, and antioxidants can counter that. And matcha, in particular, is lousy with antioxidants like catechins. Yeah, and matcha, I mean, is literally good for almost every organ in your body. And it's certainly not bad for any of them. It helps with your liver. I think we already mentioned the kidneys, certainly the brain um, and memory. And the the combination of that L-theanine and caffeine Mm-hmm. supposedly actually helps you multitask and like to go back and forth between tasks more easily. So uh, like we mentioned earlier, you're alert, but you're still calm. Yeah. It is it is a bit of a miracle powder. It is because that L-theanine can cross the blood-brain barrier. So it goes right to your brain and starts pushing it around like, do this, do that. But it works synergistically with caffeine and that it also releases GABA, which is a um, calming um, uh, I guess, inhibitory molecule. I'm not sure. Yeah, I remember but GABA. They, it works together with, with, um, with caffeine so that, like you were saying, like you have all of, the, all of the focus but none of the jitters. It's just amazing stuff. It's great. I can't wait I mean, for mine to come fights, in the mail. It fights cancer and it puts you in the zone. Although, be aware of one thing. If you, if you like matcha with like a latte with milk, that milk binds with antioxidants very easily. So, it neutralizes a lot of the antioxidant effect in matcha. Yeah, Emily said, I told her that I was going to get some and it had been a while. And she said something about making me a matcha latte. And I was like, I don't think I want that. I think I just will either dump it in a smoothie or, or just make my tea. Okay. It's worth trying, though. It's very good. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay. Whatever you want to do, I'm, I just think it's top-notch that we're drinking matcha these days. We're going to live to 130, 140, maybe. Do you have it every day? Do you drink matcha every day? No, I don't drink nearly enough matcha, but this has gotten me yeah. back into it as well. I, I made a little bit, had the little uh, bamboo scoop the uh, cha shaku, and I started making myself some, and Yumi Soda is doing so. She came over and finished making it for me. It was very sweet. She said, here's what you're doing wrong. <laughs> she said, move, <laughs> dummy. But she said it in Japanese, and I was like, what would you say? And she said, nothing. <laughs> yeah, and you went, well, it sounded nice because it's Japanese. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, and then I think we should finish with this great quote from uh, why it's so popular these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and who is this from? This is from Anna uh, Kabalineas. Of Green Gables who is a health coach and co-authored Matcha, colon, A Lifestyle Guide. She says this, The Kermit the Frog color just made it so Instagrammable. <laughs> that, that we have Goop to thank for it. That's right. Uh, let's see. That's it for Matcha. Go back and um, maybe go try it yourself. It's totally worth it, and we hope you like it. Uh, and since I said that, it's time for a listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this my tapeworm experience from Travis. Hey, guys, big fan of the show. Loved the one on tapeworms, and it gave me flashbacks to my own experience. Oh, man. Four years ago, I was working at a fishing lodge in Ontario, Canada, 
had severe gastrointestinal issues for several weeks over the summer, and I visited a doctor, and after a stool sample, discovered I had a fully mature fish tapeworm inside of me. Oh, wow. 30 inches. Wow. It made for a pretty miserable summer. The doctor helped me trace the timeline back to infection, and the likely culprit was a batch of ceviche that a guest had made. Oh, no. Uh, And for those of you listening, ceviche is uh, prepared by soaking fish in citrus juices Mm -hmm. overnight, uh, essentially cooking it. Ideally cooking it. (laughs) Yeah, chemically cooking it. Uh, And ceviche is great. Love it. Um, I was prescribed one pill to paralyze the worm so it would release its hold and my body could get rid of it. But I had to wait an agonizing three days for the pill to arrive due to my remote location. Nothing like knowing there's a 30-inch tapeworm inside of you leeching away at your body's nutrients. I can't imagine. Can you imagine just a little bit like, all right, three days, I just got to know this about no, myself. No, I can't. I can't. I don't know what I would do to numb that pain. He said it took a year of supplements to get my weight back. He lost 20 pounds and B12 wow. back to normal. A word of caution, the doctor told me if you plan to eat any raw fish to make sure it has a hard freeze for at least 24 hours to kill any tapeworm eggs. A lesson I will not soon forget. And that is uh, from Travis in Bend, Oregon. Man, Travis, that was a cruel summer indeed. Yeah. Um, Glad you made it out, though, buddy. Apparently, it takes forever to get stuff in Bend, Oregon. I didn't realize that. I think he was not in Bend, Oregon at the time. Oh, okay. I guess. Yeah, he was at a fishing lodge in Ontario, Canada. Okay, 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 okay. Um, Great. Well, uh, thank you for that story. That was just magnificent. It really is a good accompaniment to the actual episode, too. Don't you think, Chuck? Agreed. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like Travis did, you can send us an email. Send it off to stuffpodcasts at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 